you know, the lights out warehouse where everything is automated and, and you've taken out all of the inflexible conveyors and all of that. Um, again, if you're a, a big guy like an Amazon or a Walmart, you might be able to do something like that, but most people are starting a little bit further down the curve. Yeah, as a, as a practitioner, right, I, I, you know, I have a certain perspective on what we see um, on the ground. Uh, for the most part, a lot of uh, retailers are certainly interested in exploring the high-tech new robotic options. I'm Adam Bolka, and this is The Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'll be talking to supply chain experts from around the world, experts who are tackling challenges in their corner of the industry. People are change makers that drive innovation. That's why this supply chain podcast is about learning from those who lead by example. I hope that the conversations you hear will inspire you to drive change within your organization. Let's jump in. Hello and welcome to the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and today we're back and ready to discuss a topic that is probably on every supply chain practitioner's mind, warehouse automation technologies. Joining me on this side of the interview is Bill Denby. Bill, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you very much, Adam. As you know, this is a topic dear to my heart, and uh, it's something that we're very heavily involved in at the moment, lots of excitement and interest around automation. I'm really excited to uh, hear from Rom and uh, Jean uh, frame the uh, the current state of the art in uh, in uh, automation. So, looking forward to this one. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have both of them on. Uh, Ram Gopalakrishnan is an expert in automation robotics and founder of Bricks. And Jean Demeter is editor of Robotics Twenty Four Seven and an overall warehouse robotics authority. So together, they're going to be sharing their insights and experiences on the impact of automation on the warehouse industry and how it's changing the way we do business, while also giving us a glimpse into their Promat 2023 on-floor seminar called Key Automation Technologies That Will Live in Your Warehouse in the Next Five Years. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive into the exciting world of warehouse automation with Ram and Jean. Welcome, Ram and Jean. Thank you. So I'd like to kick things off with you, Jean. Um, you've been reporting on warehouse robotics for several years now, and you've watched it grow from its infancy to, I mean, where it is today, kind of what, the awkward teenage years maybe? I'd, I'd love to get your insights on the state of the state, where it was and where it is. Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me. And Warehouse automation is one of the most exciting areas for robotics right now. Uh, several years ago, before the pandemic, installations were pretty small. There were a lot of pilots and tests. But in the past few years, everyone has gone from those pilots and tests to rolling out actual fleets, mostly of mobile robots, uh, but also of industrial robot arms and other systems for sortation and picking. And... The state of the industry is that it's actually pretty healthy. Uh, we went from 5% of North American warehouses having automation to about 25% over the last five or so years. So that means that 75% of warehouses are not yet automated, so there's plenty of room to grow. But it also means that there's been a very rapid 
year-over-year growth according to statistics from the International Federation of Robotics and the Association for Advancing Automation. So uh, the growth year-over-year in industrial robots in factories, which I'll explain how that's related to warehousing, uh, that's 31% growth. So there's a over 517,000 industrial robots installed in factories according to the International Federation of Robotics. Now, that's earlier in the supply chain, but that automation has been trickling down. And so service robots, which includes robots for logistics and other industries, have grown 37% uh, just in 2021, according to the IFR. And so that amount of robotics year over year not quite doubling, but in the course of, of three years, you can really expect to see uh, pretty significant growth. Uh, and then, again, just in North America, there's been a 20%, uh, 26% growth in the number of industrial robots ordered in the U.S. So robots are growing in manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, and the trend is only continuing despite economic headwinds, despite the pandemic, uh, there's a lot of demand for automation. And what I've heard from robotics users and suppliers is that a lot of that demand is being driven by labor shortages. And so a lot of these jobs in non-air-conditioned facilities and trying to keep up with a massive wave of e-commerce demand over the past few years, uh, robotics is no longer seen as a nice-to-have, but as a must-have for warehouses and distribution centers. You know, Gene, those stats are a really interesting set of numbers. Uh, I know, Ram, you're actually seeing this in the real world. You're actually implementing these systems. And are you seeing the same kind of growth that, uh, that Gene's talking about? Uh, yes, uh, definitely. Uh, there is a big uptake in robotics investments, right? And uh, just uh, from a general industry sense, one of the things that we commonly keep hearing is about uh, 30, 30 to 40% of uh, warehouse jobs that exist are not being filled, uh, primarily because of the scarcity in finding the labor. That kind of correlates to some of what we see in the field, right? In the last, uh, you know, couple of years, uh, in the last couple of years, nearly 66% of our our own customer base, uh, we you know help a lot of large retailers and third-party logistics providers. Uh, we have a uh, hundred plus logos of who's who uh, in that space, and out of that, nearly 66% of uh, our customer base uh, has started either started an exploration or is you know further ahead in the process in the implementation cycle, right? And uh, there's a like nearly uh, fairly equal split in terms of 31% uh, of our customer base are in the exploratory phase, identifying the solution that is right for them. And then there's another 35% that's in a much more advanced uh, implementation cycle. So there is uh, a progression from a pilot-based approach to large-scale investments in robotics and automation. Now, I know that labor has driven a lot of those uh, interest in, uh, in automation, but I think that it's fair to say, I think, Gene, you've written about this, uh, e-commerce 
the pandemic, seasonality, high demand in high seasons. These are all factors that people are starting to respond to these demands by using automation. It's not just labor. Um, those, those factors, those, those customer expectations are not going away. And I think that that's one thing that we need to recognize. Um, what are we seeing out there as the technologies that are being installed today? How does it split out when it comes to level of technology, level of investment, types of implementations that you're seeing? Are we, uh, are we getting all kinds or is there a, is there a trend that's, uh, that's happening as regards the, uh, the nature of the automation technology that we're seeing? Well, certainly, uh, I would say the majority of activity over the past few years has been in the mobile robot space. Automated guided vehicles, or AGVs, and then autonomous mobile robots, or AMRs, are the areas where not only do we see the largest deployments, but also growth in the vendors themselves. And that all comes out of Amazon acquiring Kiva Systems uh, several years ago, like 10 years ago, and uh, they helped create a category because all the companies that relied on mobile platforms had to find other sources. And so there's about 50 AMR providers in the world now. And we're seeing some consolidation, but that's where a lot of the demand is. In other forms of robotics, uh, there is a lot of robotics in sortation, in palletizing, um, pick and place. Mostly that is organized around bin picking. However, uh, we are starting to see movement toward each picking with regard to better machine vision and gripper systems. Uh, but I would say uh, a lot of the activity is in the mobile robot space. And Ram, what are you doing and what kind of systems are you implementing? Is it uh, large-scale ASRSs or is it mostly cobots or like somewhere in between? Or? Yeah, uh, so we, we certainly see a combination of things. And uh, going back to your message earlier, Bill, about uh, e-commerce, right? Uh, you know, for a long time, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, the customer base that we had, I mean, had big store operations, 95%, uh, you know, store sales, 5% e-commerce, and now are changing to 10, 20, 30, 40% e-commerce. So the touches within a distribution center are very different, right? Uh, where it was just miles of conveyor to kind of sort down boxes onto a pallet in the past is a lot more, you know, each pick heavy. And that has uh, definitely necessitated, you know, introduction of a lot more of the mobile robots. So we're certainly seeing that trend. And it also kind of, uh, uh, you know, is a little bit of uh, a, a different trend based on industries as well as, uh, you know, the type of the distribution center, which we'll talk about later. You know, and, and Ram, you mentioned, you know, two thirds of these companies are interested in automation, but it's really coming in, in dribs and drabs. Uh, would you be able to advise on what warehouse automation technologies might be better suited for brownfield versus greenfield or what factors should be considered in terms of what types of technology would be most appropriate for a specific warehouse, you know, rural versus urban or a skew mix or order profile. How, how do you advise uh, supply chain managers in that in that space? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, first of all, you know, one of the things uh, we kind of see commonly is uh, somebody that is working with a greenfield warehouse 
um, and is bought into the concept of robotics and automation, they are typically solving the problem for the long term. And uh, when they are solving the problem for the long term, uh, typically it uh, involves a lot more of the goods to person, a lot more of the ASRS, right? Whereas uh, for somebody that has a brownfield, uh, they are working with a lot of constraints. It's not a net new design and they have to work within the limitations. And as part of the process, uh, people like us, we do um, you know, studies to understand disruption cost of various type of uh, robotics and automations. And in a lot of those cases, typically the starting point is some kind of AMR and a quasi goods to person solution uh, that is not a large scale, you know, ASRS, but at the same time, it will provide some of the efficiencies. And then as part of the process, one of the other things uh, that we also see is in terms of efficiencies derived, um, you know, some of the AMRs that are fairly easy to implement will create efficiencies, but they also cap out in terms of efficiencies at a certain point in time. So whenever people are, you know, operating in a brownfield environment, it's a stopgap arrangement uh, for them before they learn and move on to, yeah, in a lot of instances, we, you know, have gone through the journey with customers where they start with the brownfield, but then as they understand, uh, you know, the efficiencies uh, from the robotics investments, uh, typically we see them go on to create a new greenfield facility with a lot more advanced automation. Yeah, and we see a lot, uh, you mentioned the goods-to-person automation, and I think that's really an important area where, uh, for a brownfield application in particular, uh, you already have existing staff, you already have existing workflows. Adding robots to that uh, requires a little less infrastructure. So a robot network with human pickers, like one from, say, Six River Systems or Locus Robotics, is going to be easier to implement than some of the other uh, systems that might be out there. Uh, one of the challenges for a brownfield is that they may not have the space to put in all the markers for an AGV, or they may not have the space to put in the, the rack shelving for an ASRS. So I think regardless of greenfield or brownfield, identifying the problem that you're solving, as you say, whether it's, a, it's an econ problem, whether it's a, um, a labor problem, a space problem, I think the technology is starting to adapt to be able to solve those issues. Um, are you seeing people investigating high-tech and then coming back to more traditional type solutions? Or are they investigating these high-tech solutions, really buying the idea of a, a full-on, totally sophisticated uh, system and moving through with that type of a solution, regardless of the fact that this is all new technology? Is it the, is it the traditional or the, the, the high-tech approach which are you, you guys are seeing uh, uh, is winning the day at this point in time? I would think that the, uh, the more high-tech approach is easier for the bigger operations. They have the scale, they have the, the comfort with the technology, uh, and they're more likely to have greenfield operations where they can either test or roll it out at scale. Um, you know, smaller or mid-sized enterprises, or you know, there's the whole trend of micro-fulfillment, or you know, back-of-store operations, which are smaller, have much more constraints, 
they may start smaller, but there's absolutely interest in rolling them out across locations and then managing them accordingly. And that's also an element of, of technology that we haven't touched on yet is the software, right? That there has to be ties to the data that's collected and generated to existing inventory management or process systems, warehouse management systems, and a lot of the secret sauce or the differentiator right now among vendors is that they say they have software or they work with software providers that can add that level of insight and management. Um, the question of the level of technology, uh, HUVs are still very common and they have relatively low overhead, they have, uh, they're have they a little bit cheaper, and so there is a continuum from that to the notion of a lights-out warehouse where everything is automated and, and you've taken out all of the inflexible conveyors and all of that. Um, again, if you're a, a big guy like an Amazon or a Walmart, you might be able to do something like that, but most people are starting a little bit further down the curve. Yeah, as a as a practitioner, right? I I you know I have a certain perspective on what we see um, on the ground. Uh, for the most part, a lot of uh, retailers are certainly interested in exploring the high tech new robotic options, but in a lot of instances, uh, they kind of don't know where to start. Right? There's just way too many options in the marketplace. So one of the things that we see time and again, like whether it is at a show in Promat or Modex or wherever, right? Uh, there's so much interest in you know organizations to learn more about robotics, but then every uh, third stop is another provider that is similar. And uh, in cases where a retailer or a seller or a distributor initiates, um, you know, some of the exploration in house. At some point in the process, yeah, there's not enough sponsorship or continued interest to keep things going. That's when things fall back to more, okay, let's just go back to what we know and the traditional automation solutions. But uh, we as practitioners uh, engage uh, with uh, some of the, you know, customers or prospects uh, uh, in that journey. And, you know, we bring a lot of deep insights uh, that are data-based in terms of answers for the right solution for new age AMRs or AGVs. And in a lot of those cases, those are people that are completely bought into the value proposition and they continue with the journey to actually complete an implementation, derive the value proposition, right? So, so in a lot of cases, in terms of the starting point, I think most, if not all, retailers are looking at the new age technologies, not necessarily the traditional control systems. But then at some point during the journey, if they have the right help, they see through the process. Or if they have the right talent in-house, they see through the process. Lacking some of that results in them going back to the options they know. I was on, the, uh, on a call uh, yesterday with uh, some guys from MHI and uh, part of the solutions community. And one of the conversations we were having was about lead time. 
lead time around automation and and how lead time around automation projects is starting to impact people's decisions about the right technology that they're going to select simply because the technology they would like to adopt has, has got a perhaps one or even two year lead time on. Um, are you guys starting to see the similar, similar kind of uh, factors as regards lead time and shortage of components, shortage of, of, of microchips, all those kind of things are impacting the, uh, the trend towards automation in the warehouse? We have. There's, for certain types of robots, uh, for certainly more sophisticated ones, the uh, processor shortage uh, hurt them earlier in the year. Uh, and a lot of companies have been now either trying to stockpile or, or find alternative sources for certain technologies. Uh, but at the same time, the, the lead time is sometimes a question of can the uh, robotic supplier and integrator keep up with demand? And a lot of them have already committed to growing fleets of existing customers, and uh, a lot of them are, are trying to scale up. And they're, we talk about the labor shortage. There's a labor shortage among robotics companies too, right? That there's a talent shortage, and that affects them as well. Even though there have been some pretty highly publicized layoffs in the tech community recently, that doesn't solve the overall issue. And so lead times are definitely one of the uh, competitive differentiators as people are looking to adopt robotics. And the companies that can meet that, uh, the ones that are perhaps a little more established or a little farther along or that have already figured out the APIs and, and integration, they are likely to continue growing faster. Um, well, one of the things I would add is, uh, uh, again, you know, when people think about uh, large-scale automation implementations uh, for a greenfield site, um, they are already aware of potential delays and, uh, you know, account for some buffer time uh, for delays, right? Um, so for large-scale automation, I think it is uh, more emphasis on the right solution, not necessarily, hey, I'll just implement the one that I'll find the soonest, right? Uh, whereas uh, for the brownfield implementations, uh, where time is of essence and it's uh, more of a pilot approach there, uh, you know, lead time definitely comes into play because uh, if you have uh, uh, four different AMR options and you can get one in two months, another in six months, uh, that does make a difference. You know, in terms of uh, different categories of automation, uh, this, this episode is about what automation technologies are really game day ready. And both of you within within your spheres, um, you've seen a lot of trends come and go. You've seen a lot of technologies come and go. Uh, and, and for it to really uh, be game day ready, it has to reach a certain level of maturity. Do you see anything out there that's just a surefire maturity is there, we're ready to go? And or is there anything out there that you think might sizzle out or it's just really not ready yet that we should probably put it on the back burner and wait for it to mature a little bit. I've seen technologies. We talked earlier about the ASRS systems, the dense storage. And there's been a wave over the past year or so of mobile robot companies sort of moving into that space saying, okay, we can do denser, maybe not a complete cube, but we can have robots that can climb shelves or we can have mobile robots that can work in these 
uh, environments to provide some of the density of an ASRS, but without the same amount of infrastructure. And I think that's pretty close to game day ready, and that, again, fills that micro-fulfillment center trend that I mentioned earlier. Uh, a technology I'd say that's probably a little farther out, despite the amount of interest in it, are humanoid or more general-purpose robots. Uh, we know that Tesla has great ambitions to start using them in, in the coming year or so, and there are a number of other companies that have worked on them, but the amount of technical challenges involved in power management and safety, and uh, you know, I think that's probably a little bit farther out, but uh, robots that have some humanoid characteristics, uh, like, you know, a general robotic digit, that will certainly have a place, but um, I think large-scale adoption of humanoids is probably a little ways out. Rom, anything to add there? Yeah, so, so from, uh, you know, our perspective, I, I think, uh, you know, definitely a lot of the AMR and goods-to-person solutions are evolving and, uh, you know, getting to be a lot more advanced and accurate. Um, one of the things that... Uh, we are seeing uh, definitely is, uh, you know, each of the providers have some amount of secret sauce. Uh, but then uh, one of the key things that uh, we are continuously hearing and seeing is the need for, you know, software that will have the capability to architect multiple types of robots, right? So that, uh, you know, you're not uh, just constrained by one provider and their capabilities. Uh, so, so that, you know, uh, that kind of ability will create a lot more adoption in robotics. And definitely there are organizations working towards that uh, so that there is one central architect of the robotics landscape within the distribution center. And uh, in terms of functions, I think, uh, you know, we come across... Uh, you know, things like uh, pallet unloading and other areas where there are some robotic solutions, but not necessarily, you know, um, so evolved and mature to be game, uh, you know, prime time ready, if you will, right? Um, so it's a continuous evolution and uh, having uh, that central software layer to architect all of this will go a long way in better adoption and maturity. Ram, I don't know if it was you, and I apologize if it wasn't you, but I was ca- talking to someone uh, around the warehouse automation space who was telling me that they were complaining about uh, their robots not working. Just, you know, wake up in the morning and the robots weren't going, and they were doing all this problem-solving, customer care. They were getting ready to just do everything they had to do to cancel the contract, whatnot, and it, it, it turns out that they had put a pallet right in front of where the robots had to charge. And so the robots just sort of stood there, not able to, not able to plug themselves <laughs> in. Done. Just dead. <laughs> so it's sometimes it works. Sometimes the technology works. And then sometimes the technology is what gets in the way. <laughs> and there's that human element too, right? Of, of getting people to understand, right. okay, your processes will change. And, and how much will they change? And uh, how much do you need to to train your staff to operate with or yeah, around yeah. or on these systems. And right. uh, that's long been seen as a barrier to entry. Uh, that you know, the robotic suppliers can't have someone on site all the time. And 
latest wave of AMRs and other robots, they promise to be easier to use and easier to manage, but simple things can still trip them up. I'd like to add my vote, which is uh, when it comes to technologies that have been five years out from being prime time ready, robotic arms. I think I've, I've seen them for the last 20 years being five years from being ready. Um, they still crush things. They still don't work. They still don't have the dexterity to, that a human being does when it comes to, to uh, you know, picking things. In general distribution, there are specific applications where they do a very good job. But uh, robotic, uh, robotic arms as being the, the recipient of a goods-to-person system to, to then package. That's still five years out, and I think it's going to be five years out from another, for at least another ten years. And are you mentioned when you talk about robot arms? Obviously, there's the, the big industrial arms. Are you also classifying collaborative robots or cobots in that as well? Uh, no, I mean we're seeing uh, collaborative robots as being um, very uh, adopted. You know, being very highly adopted because they they require so they can go into a, a brownfield situation for so easily with very little infrastructure change. Um, so no, uh, the 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 cobots which which we're seeing utilized, they they tend to go to a human. The human loads them from from whatever zone they're picking in, and then the cobot trundles on. They basically are a a, a way of of re, uh, reducing or even eliminating travel. But uh, uh, there's they they don't run into the same problem when it comes to the physicality of picking a very small, very very easily crushed item, and then picking a large garment, and then picking you know all these different form factors that are s such a challenge for these uh, these robotic arms. So as we're starting to to wrap this episode up, uh, I I want to ask uh, each of you. Uh, what is your one piece of advice for someone who is beginning their automation journey? What's what's the first step on that journey? And and Ram, let's let's start with you. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and so so first and foremost, right? Uh, I think the uh, realization of the amount of options in the marketplace and understanding that it's not a one size fits all, right? So a lot of these solutions have to be tailored for very specific needs, whether it is for the specific industry, uh, whether it is for somebody that uh, has certain type of capability, skill set, real estate, right? Uh, whether it is somebody that is looking for a certain growth, right? If they have a five-year growth plan that, uh, provides uh, projections in terms of volumes, in terms of labor, in terms of uh, efficiencies, right? Looking at a lot of that uh, information to make a lot more educated, uh, uh, you know, decision on that journey for robotics is going to be very critical to success, right? And uh, as they think about uh, this journey, I mean, uh, yeah, this is not a, uh, hey, uh, you know, I, I chose uh, a fancy technology to implement. This is more of a journey of what do I want to accomplish over the next five years? How do I support my organization's growth using automation and robotics? And the people that do, do the due diligence to 
make decisions based on that data are very, very successful. And that will be our advice to people that are going through this journey. Yeah, I agree with Ram that uh, understanding one's own needs and one's own processes is really the important part to identify where automation can help. I would also say uh, when you're looking at robotic suppliers and integrators, um, see who their reference customers are. See what successful deployments and implementations they already have. Somebody who has been able to do it at scale or solve something, maybe not exactly what your environment is, but in your space, is going to be really helpful rather than saying, oh, um, everyone is providing a technology that claims to solve this problem. Uh, it's, it's also good to understand, can they solve multiple problems in this general space? And, and will they be around to continue supporting me? And from my perspective, I think the key thing that we're seeing is the most well-prepared warehouse people that are looking at automation, the ones that have the most successful projects. So data, 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 and more data. If you don't know how big your things are, every item in your warehouse is, if you don't know how much space they take up, if you don't know what units of measure they're in, and you don't know how many of them there are in the warehouse, boy, it's all just going to get that much quicker and that much bigger failure. So my advice to anybody who's considering automation is the first question they ask themselves is, do I know exactly everything in my warehouse right now? Because if I don't, I got some homework to do before I call either of these two gentlemen. Right, Bill. And, and as both of them said, right, let's not just shove a square automation peg in a round hole. There's, there's enough tech out there to avoid that mismatch. So that's, uh, that's all the time we have today uh, for the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I, I want to once again thank our guests, Ram and Jean, for joining us and sharing their expertise on warehouse automation. Uh, both of you gentlemen, your insights and experiences have, uh, have been really valuable. Uh, they provided uh, our listeners with a wealth of information on the latest trends and best practices in the industry. Uh, I also want to thank our guest host, Bill, for helping to facilitate the conversation and for, uh, for adding his own valuable perspective to the discussion. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and have learned something new about warehouse automation and how to begin your journeys. Thank you all for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, this is Adam Polka signing off. Have a great day. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. I hope our guests sparked some new ideas and inspired you to push the boundaries of supply chain. New podcasts will be published on the first of every month. In the meantime, please reach out with your thoughts or questions or even an idea for a future episode. You can email us at texaspodcast at texas.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified as soon as a new episode goes live. And please share it with a colleague and leave a review. Until then, this has been the Great Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Adam Polka, and thank you for tuning in.